Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. What is going on, Baylor Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues, and we're coming off the NFL draft. That means we have a tried-and-true tradition. We get to grade the NFL draft. But before we get into that, let's get into some gold stars and detentions. First gold star is going to go to Kelsey Whitmore slash the Staten Island Fairy Hawks slash the entire Atlantic League of Professional Baseball for having the first ever woman in a major American professional baseball league. Now, I understand that people will be like, what? This is founded in 1998. How are you using the term professional baseball so loosely? But this is a paid-for-play version of the same Atlantic League that was around from 1896 to 1900, and then it was the Atlantic League in 1914, and it's in a number of different things. And now we've got the ALPB, including the Staten Island Ferry Hawks that just came into fruition i guess during the pandemic and as of this weekend kelsey whitmore had not played yet but she was a left fielder i guess technically on baseball reference she's also listed as a pitcher from her time at cal state fullerton the temecula product came out and started at left field for the fairy hawks for the weekend making her the first one to do so and shout out to all of that all things happening there uh, but mostly just great to see equitable things happening across baseball this is the kind of stories baseball ought to be pushing not all of these boring 162 game seasons but highlight baseball happening all over the place shout out to kelsey whitmore shout out to the staten island fairy hawks and shout out to the alpb we're making a memorable weekend for women all across the country second gold star is going to go to earl smith jr better known as J.R. smith of the north carolina a&t state university golf team you may remember him better from his days in the cleveland cavaliers but after joining the golf team to pursue his own college education and play a little golf on the side he was the north carolina a&t academic athlete of the year with a 4.0 gpa now i think we all foresaw him having a lot of fun doing golf and i think we all like foresaw i know ryan rodriguez for billy sports wrote a fun article about like the kinds of cool places you'd see him on campus as a college student and we all were admiring how great it is that he went back to school but to go back to school and get a 4-0 and be the academic athlete of the year at a good school north carolina a&t frequently ranks as one of the highest ranking public hbcus in the country and jr smith walked out there while playing college level golf high division one college level golf and walked out with a 4-0 shouts to jr on a great semester congrats and a good year to jr smith 
While we're sitting here and at it, we need to give a gold star to Luka Doncic of the Dallas Master, finally getting out of the first round. I most want to give a gold star to Luka Doncic because it feels like all of his playoff performances have been gold star worthy, but ended with a loss. And this year, they move on in the second round after beating the Utah Jazz in what might be the last iteration we see of that Utah Jazz team. I'm sure we'll have other theses of that sort over the offseason for basketball. But as it looked like, Luka Doncic was simply unguardable. The three-time defense player of the year, Rudy Gobert, had no answer for the offense initiated by Luka, whether that was being unable to truthfully help from the corner and protect the rim and the corner at once, or if it was getting spun out of rotation or being caught off guard and being unable to get his defensive ducks in a row with his teammates. Doncic made that defense look awful all series long, worth pointing out. So did Jalen Brunson, and that may be why that team doesn't last much longer. But I digress. We're going to give Gold Star to Luka Doncic for the performance over the week and for moving on the second round for the first time in his career because he's worked so hard to that point and, frankly, because he's played much like that for several postseasons in a row now and is finally getting to see it pay off. Shouts to Luka Doncic. Our last gold star is going to go to whoever runs the Rocket Twitter account, or at least whoever ran it on Friday the 28th, because amidst all of the chaos of Elon Musk buying Twitter, and then there were the different tweets he sent out about all these other things he was going to buy and fix, like Coca-Cola or whatever, the Houston Rocket Twitter account changed its name to Elon Musk. Its handle was still at Houston Rockets, if you're paying attention, but the name was Elon Musk because it was the Houston Rockets. It had a little verified check next to it. They changed their profile picture to Elon Musk, and then they tweeted out that they were going to, quote, make sure that the NBA would always give the Houston Rockets the number one overall draft pick if they ever got a chance to buy the NBA because that was the same mode of all the other Elon Musk tweets. Press send. It was hilarious. Twitter was in an uproar. NBA fans were having a great, great time with it, and then I think Elon himself got a little offended because, of course, Elon does when anyone likes to poke fun at the bear there. Anyway, that shortly got taken down. I'm sure that person got in trouble at least a little bit. It was weirdly reminiscent of the not-so-great taste joke, oddly enough, also on April 28th, a few years back at the Dallas Mavericks extent. <laughs> but I digress. It was a funny, funny Twitter moment brought to you by Houston Rockets Twitter, the official account. And I got to say, if you are not a fan of the Houston Rockets, I highly encourage you to tap into Houston Rockets Twitter. It's a very, very different, unique space. Shouts to all the people involved. But that was a funny moment from the account. So gold star to whoever was running the Rockets Twitter account on Friday. All right, so our first attention is going to go to George Carl. Now, I think this feels a little old, but to be blunt, it's also been a while since we've had a gold star detention segment because we have a number of different things going on. But our detention is going to go to George Carl because in response to Boogie Cousins' tweet, now Boogie Cousins' tweet was about, you know, what does he really owe the Sacramento Kings? They gave him a job, and that's great and all, and he gave them all his hard work and all that for several years and back and forth. And the tweet was very clearly the dilemma of the athlete i've given you all i can give you what do i actually owe you at this point to the sacramento kings george Kov went back with this old get off my lawn take of well they put you in the nba draft and blah 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 when truthfully boogie cousins was taken fifth overall he was taking taken ahead of ipke udo and greg monroe and cole aldrich and a number of guys that are well out of the league at this point and i have to feel like even with his injury history most people picking after five would have still taken Boogie Cousins ahead of the guy they'd take. Maybe like, you know, there's obviously a connection between Utah Jazz and Gordon Hayward. You know, maybe that's the case. I don't think like the Pacers would have taken Paul George ahead of Boogie Cousins if they'd both been available even. As you scroll through the list of the 2010 NBA draft, it truthfully was 
fairly mediocre after that. Like, Bialika went in the second round to the Washington Wizards, but I, I don't think that they would rather have him than Boogie Cousins. Lance Stevenson was second-round pick. Uh, I, I just I, I don't know that there's a lot of that. Anyway, this is not a 2010 NBA draft thesis of any kind, but the tension goes to George Carl for assuming that, A, Boogie Cousins getting picked had anything to do with the Sacramento Kings and not everything to do with how hard he worked as an athlete to get to be an NBA player, just like everyone that makes the NBA does. That's a product of his hard work, not some gift given to him that he owes anything for. Now, it's obviously great to see someone being gracious, but at the end of the day, just like if you work really hard and get into a good business school and then go from said business school to work for J.P. Morgan Chase or whatever, like DeMarcus Cousins worked really, really hard got to Kentucky and turned himself into a pro basketball player, and now he's working for a pro basketball team. That's not a crazy concept. He had to be extremely thankful over the top for, especially after like the background of how the Sacramento Kings are a dysfunctional organization that kind of ruin players in the league, and I really truthfully probably do more detriment to a guy like DeMarcus. DeMarcus spent what was probably the best seven years of his career playing for Sacramento and playing his butt off for Sacramento, being a truly unique, versatile center in a weird different changing league where the game was going beyond the perimeter he was expanding with it even though he's six foot ten and 260 pounds and a giant behemoth of a person that has always been nba level good at basketball he was taking his game beyond the perimeter with the rest of the nba he then kind of hints that he's getting out after the seven years because Frankly, that's the longest time that Sacramento can pay him more than anyone else. He's like, okay, now it's time for me to go find somewhere to really play. They swap him with New Orleans midseason, and he ends up tearing his Achilles in his second, not even quite full season, with the club. Now, I, I got to say that, you know, not because that injury happened against my Houston Rockets. I do recall that happening, and I, I want to point out that Boogie was playing at an all-NBA level in the first half of that season, when it happened, the 2018-19 season, Boogie was truthfully an all-NBA type center in the same league that had the Davises, the Embiid's, all of these same guys that we're seeing dominate the league now. Boogie Cousins was one of them and was also less than 30 years old and was also ready to make his push over the top and was also playing with Anthony Davis and a great young New Orleans team. It had older Rondo, but it had Holiday, it had Davis, it had Cousins. The team has strong vets on the team like Nikola Mirotic or Tony Allen or Jameer Nelson, guys that could really play at a high level. And frankly, with Cousins playing the way he was playing, they were poised to take the next step. Just four days prior to getting injured, Cousins had 44 points, 24 rebounds, and 10 assists, making him the first player since Kareem to have a 40-20-10 triple-double. I mean, he's really that kind of dominant at the moment that he gets hurt, and I have to say that the entire landscape of the NBA might have changed had he not gotten hurt. I digress. This is not a Boogie Cousins thesis. This is not meant to be a Boogie Cousins soapbox, but dang, George Carl is telling that guy that he gave the bulk of his career, the good years of his career to Sacramento, that he owes them something? Like, that's classic management sticking up for management, sticking up for management, in a way that has always happened, is disgusting at every level. Big time detention to George Carl. All right, so today's thesis is going to be about the NFL draft, and how do we feel about the NFL draft? How did it go? So the thesis, I guess, as it's written is, the NFL draft went great. I'm going to give that thesis an F. Now let's talk about it. All right, now, the NFL draft going great gets an F for me because 
I don't think it should exist. So let's break that down first, and then we'll get into some actual realistic grades and look at how the draft went. But I give this decent F because the NFL draft, bluntly, should not exist. We go through this every year. I have the same feeling every year. But let's break down why the NFL draft should be abolished. First, we got the NFL entire process leading up to the NFL draft, all of the pre-draft measurements and combines and this is and that and all of the teams inspecting and basically breaking down every possible flaw in all of these players. And we time and time again see them get it wrong. I mean, the obviously like the big marquee one is that Tom Brady is a six-round pick. But how many times do you see like Dak Prescott's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL and he's a fourth-round pick? Like all these times we see guys come out from later rounds, that's really the process getting it wrong, right? That there were not what is that 120 players better than Dak Prescott there were not 198 players better than Tom Brady that's just not accurate and that means that the process itself is wrong now the second thing I'll say is that I don't like the process either not just because it's wrong and inaccurate but because I don't think it's good to turn these guys into these slabs of meat that become parts of your team in a very transactional kind of way that leads to things like unions and management striking that leads to things like the unions constantly fighting for their rights in labor negotiations because you've got the way that these owners and coaches and stuff like that already treat the players the nfl is entirely business and the players function as assets but to then turn the dialogue for fans for half of the season into well, this guy runs two-tenths faster in the 40 time, and this guy has this much bigger hands, and this guy has this many millimeters of or portions of an inch farther on the broad jump. All of those things lead to the entire discussion amongst all of people watching football turning human beings into assets. And I'm telling you, that's a negative thing. That's how you get fans being disturbingly disgusting in comment sections and reddits and tweet threads and fan sections yelling at all kinds of things out of the stands that are just blatantly hateful and disrespectful of various players across the country in all kinds of different settings and it's just because they're wearing the different jersey and you might have wanted your team to draft them in the first place but when you start treating people like things you get to that right you get to people spitting at players walking off the field throwing batteries at them etc once you start treating them like things and we start measuring them like they're animals that leads to them being treated like things so first strike against the nfl draft is the process leading up to it from a multitude of angles the second thing against the nfl draft is that it rewards sucking the same teams over and over again always get the top couple of picks so the nfl has this blatant system where the more you lose the better your pick is and so the better player you get theoretically suck for luck tank for two all these different monikers you throw on it are just cutesy for saying hey we'd rather lose right now that's bad for the nfl and that's blatantly bad for the guys trying to stay on that team because their management is trying to lose games to then replace them on the field with better talent you don't get that if you don't reward the worst team in the league every year with the number one overall pick if you just make get rid of the draft and make it more free agent system which we're going to get to in a second then you no longer have incentive to tank you don't have the jaguars getting the number one pick overall two years in a row no one will go set up and play for that organization after seeing how mismanaged it was with the Irvin meyer situation why are you gonna roll the dice if you're a top college prospect and go play with them again just to end up having to play an awful season with an awful coach and awful ownership etc and then turn around and get your spot taken by the next number one overall pick it doesn't make any sense it's also bluntly and this is weirdly like the very capitalist in me but it's not 
capitalist. If you suck, you don't get rewarded, right? If you're the Cleveland Browns losing for years over and over and over again, you don't just get Baker Mayfield. If you were the Jacksonville Jaguars losing over and over and over again, you don't just get Trevor Lawrence. If I run a company and my company sucks, I don't just get to go hire the top guy out of Penn Business School, right? That's just not how, I don't just get to go raid Wharton for the best talent. I My business sucks. I don't get to hire anyone in. If you suck as a business, you don't get to go get the best guy. And each of these franchises are 32 individual businesses. Yes, they work together. Yes, that working together is what forms a league and so on and so forth. But at any point, they're just 32 different businesses being run by 32 different families, as we're seeing in Washington. The way that Washington and Pittsburgh run so differently is because they have different businesses. If they were all one business, they'd be run fairly similarly. But franchises aren't the same business. They're very different. They're 32 very different businesses, and thus they get run very differently. And I don't think we should be rewarding the ones that suck. The other thing that I think is really bad about the NFL draft, and this is probably the part that if you've listened to the show often, you could have guessed with me on, is I don't think we should be trapping players, much like my DeMarcus cousin ran about the NBA a second ago, to go play for these bad teams. Like, there's a very realistic possibility that Saquon Barkley doesn't get to play another elite level of football again. That's not to say that he won't be good, but based on his injury history, the way running backs perform in the NFL, and how many carries he's gotten over his four years in the NFL, it's very possible that he has played his best football games. He has thus played those best football games for bad New York Giants teams on a team that had a bad quarterback, bad offensive line, and went through a number of different head coaches. That's not fair because we don't know what he would have picked had he been given the situation. Could he have picked to go to New York Giants and been the star of New York? Absolutely. Could he have picked to go and play for like the Dallas Cowboys, the offensive line that they have, or fellow NFC East Philadelphia Eagles, who actually, if you go back and look at the 2018 season, his rookie season, they had the top-ranked offensive line for pro football focus? Or would he have picked something out in LA because that was more you know, the vibe he wanted. It's up to the players. We need to leave. These are these are jobs. that We need to leave them up to the players. And if they want to go work for New York, that's absolutely fine. The other thing I'll say about all this, too, is that we look at this as capitalists and looking at, like, guys getting jobs and how this is a workplace. They've already limited the ability for, like, teams like Dallas or Pittsburgh or whomever, these big, big fan bases, Green Bay, San Francisco, whatever you've got. They've already limited their ability to go just take all the good players by the salary cap, right? So it's not like signing day in college where all the five stars sign with Alabama because they can. This is signing day in the NFL where realistically, as much as Jerry Jones wants to pay every top player in the NFL, he has to fit everyone under the cap. Now, there's obviously who gets to count on the cap, who doesn't get to count on the cap, and so on. And taking the draft, that would kind of tweak some of that. At, and I don't know exactly where the cap number would sit, but let's say it sat at $150 million. He could not fit an entire Pro Bowl roster under $150 million. No one could. So then all of a sudden, you've got all these guys coming to the NFL that to choose, do I take pennies on the dollar to play for Jerry? Do I take pennies on the dollar to play for Green Bay? Do I take pennies on the dollar to play in New York, L.A., whatever, because they've already spent a lot of their money on the contracts that they have? Or do I go take the big contract in Miami to play with Tua? Do I go take the big contract in Tennessee to play with Derrick Henry, right? Do you go take the big contract somewhere else because other places have spent their money? You already have this thing leveling the playing field. How much more level can it really be? I mean, in the last 20 years, how many times did the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, 
right? Is that a level playing field or is that just them playing the game better? Like if the level playing field is not working, then why are we doing it? You have the Kansas City Chiefs who made the AFC Championship game how many times in a row now, right? You've got a number of franchises, like only a handful of franchises ever even won the whole league. So how level is it? Really, if you're putting all these things in place, what you're really doing is constricting what these players do with their own agency. You're not actually leveling out the playing field. So my big pitch here, and the thing I've been on for a while now, is make this thing like college signing day. Keep the salary cap. That's what you want to do. It. I'd probably argue it needs to be a little higher because it needs to be a bigger percentage of the revenues and whatever. But I digress. Keep salary cap. If that's your thing that makes an even playing field, keep it. But if that's the case, you then need to let the players play wherever they want to when they come into NFL eligibility. So what you do is you have a, you know, recruiting period of sorts where you go with the same exact period or like got teams looking to scout players, but now you've got players looking at teams. They go on their trips to New York, Dallas, Green Bay, Chicago, Miami, LA. Man, Miami, LA sound a lot better than Chicago right now. Don't anyway, you go to whatever city you want to, you interview with the team, you see what they've got for you, you see what kind of contracts they can offer you, see what kind of perks they can see what your teammates are like, see what the vibe the culture is like, etc. And then on signing day, you all sign your contracts, you put on your hats, you let's and let's go. Let's see who goes where. Now, logistically, what happens if Pittsburgh has offered Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis both the same contract? Oh man, you better hope one of them signs and the other doesn't, because if you offer them both contracts, all of a sudden you got two rookie quarterbacks and you can't play but one. Now, I think that, again, makes the team limit their options. You can't just throw out blanket contracts to every possible rookie quarterback because then you could wake up on signing day and then they all sign it and then you have no money for anything else, right? So you got to be strategic as a team as well. And what would happen would be the top tier talent would sign right away, right? The top tier talent would sign at the buzzer. If it strikes midnight at three o'clock in the afternoon East Coast or whatever the case may be, they would sign right away. And then it would trickle much like the draft trickles. And so if you know, Kenny Pickett signs first, then Malik Willis probably signs somewhere after, and so on, or whatever, vice versa, maybe, right? Depending on how it goes, it could be a little bit different. But then you do get the fourth, fifth, sixth round type of talents players signing later because they're trying to, quote, get in where you fit in. They're trying to find a place to sign where they think they can really make the team. And I think part of my thing here is because of those late round guys, right? We hear guys getting drafted in the fifth and sixth round that would actually rather be undrafted because they're going to get a training camp deal anyway at best. And so they're trying to find a place that they can actually make the team. This gives every player that chance. It gives every player the chance to find a place where they would actually fit in as they see it best, whether that's rightly or wrongly, where they see it as best. Could you still get Joe Burrow to Cincinnati? Absolutely. They were a team that had a lot of salary cap money. They're a young team that was rebuilding. He was a quarterback on the come up, and they are a team that did not have a quarterback. He very well could have seen, oh, they got the most money. They're in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I'm signing there. It could have still worked out like that. This does not necessarily inhibit those kinds of changes. He and Chase Young are clearly very close. The next year when Chase Young was eligible, he could have very much said, hey, I'm part of the recruiting process here, Chase. Come play with me. This does not have to change those types of things. Now, the critique of this would be like, but Parker, Mr. Ainsworth, you're a Rockets fan. Your Rockets fans just went all in on the draft for the next seven years. I get it, and I'm not saying that you can't play the system the way it's built. I get that, and so maybe I should have given the idea of an NFL draft a little bit higher grade, but I just think that there's a way to do this better. There's a way to do this where the onus on the teams to be attractive, it gets rid of tanking throughout the season, it gets players' autonomy, and when you already have things like a salary cap, realistically, you're not going to have 
all these dudes sign for minimum level money to go play. They don't have enough years in their career to do that. Realistically, like obviously quarterbacks can't get hit the same way they used to get hit and whatever, da 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 da. But a receiver can't just go fourth string for no money and just live a long career and never get on the field because eventually they'll get replaced. But I will say that if you have some guy coming out of college that says they'd rather take a little bit less money to go play with a mentor. Like back when Larry Fitzgerald was like the league's mentor for all wide receivers, guys would say, oh, I want to go play in Arizona when they got free agency. That could happen with younger guys that then go play with him in Arizona because that's what they want to do, right? I guess the modern guy like would be like guys want to go play in the same locker room as Tom Brady, get a shot at ring, great coaching staff. I mean, I had my thought about Arians. I guess we've heard that Tom Brady might not like him a lot, but you have – Left which you have bowls, great coaching staff, and you got a bunch of talented guys across the board. And theoretically, as a young guy, like I want to go see what that locker room feels like. Whether you're a winner from you know the national champion Georgia Bulldogs, or whether you're a guy that just got stuck in a rut in my University of Texas or whatever, and just like I need to go see what winning feels like somewhere. We want athletes to do that. We want athletes to do the admirable thing. One of the things about Tom Brady is he took all those pay cuts. We don't really mention that Giselle made more money than anyone in the NFL could ever make. We just say Tom Brady took those pay cuts and look at what it did to the Patriots teams. Well, we don't let rookies get that option. They got to go where we say they're going to go, and they better take the money that we say they're going to make because otherwise it throws off the entire scale for everyone else. Well, if we gave them the signing day option, that gives them the option to do what they want. They could go be the virtuous, I'm taking less money to go win in Tampa Bay kind of guy, or they could be the, screw this thing, I'm going to Cincinnati, and we're making a lot of money and winning games anyway kind of thing. Like, you do both into the spectrum because you've got the salary cap, and it would level the playing field in that way, and you don't have to do this extra step of a draft. Can you imagine the entertainment value of the NFL signing day? Like, on top of all that, like, yes, the virtuous guy signing, that's a good story, and you'd probably have Dak Prescott do that because of the kind of guy Dak Prescott is, and you'd probably have some crazy wild out there recruiting pitch out of Aaron Rodgers because he's kind of wild crazy and out there. But can you imagine NFL signing day when the kind of thing where you see like college kids changing the hats and this and that and the other thing, but instead of collecting offers like a high school to college kid does, they're collecting legitimate contracts. And we can see what the money is they're accepting or turning down on paper or in front of them. And they're doing the deal where they're putting the hat, unzipping the sweatshirt, taking off the hoodie, whatever. And all of a sudden, that's happening at the NFL level. Think about NFL fandom and NFL chaos, NFL craziness. There's only 32 of these teams, right? The choices are extremely limited to begin. There are guys going to Alabama that have more than 32 offers, right? The choices are extremely, extremely, extremely limited. So you'd have guys picking between like the only three schools or the only three three schools, the only three places that need that rookie quarterback next season or really want to put it like if you're thinking ahead, you might not want to put the contracts out to rookie quarterbacks this year because you want to hold your contracts to offer guys money next season. But you have a handful of guys getting those rookie contracts quarterback this year and all of a sudden Pittsburgh takes a few of them or all of a sudden Tennessee takes a few of them. And it's like, oh, man, they're about to either trade one or swap one or move or something. Something's got to happen because realistically they can't go into camp with 12 quarterbacks or whatever the case may be, right? I I just think that there's more entertainment value in this as well. It's not just more fair. It's not just better. It's not just better for the players. It's not just more onus on the teams to be good teams and good organizations and good places to work for. It also adds an entertainment level because think about the spectacle that is the NFL draft. Now imagine that spectacle spread out across – I don't know, 100 homes watching the top 100, air quotes, draft picks pick the team they want to go to. I'm telling you, the wild and craziness of that decision made between high school and college 
jumping to real, real money in the pros is only more fun. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Now, with all of that said, there is an NFL draft, and there was an NFL draft, and I'm sure you came to the podcast day expecting to hear grades on NFL drafts. So I'm going to give you my two highest and two lowest grades after the draft happened all weekend i got to watch a lot of the first three rounds admittedly had to check in on rounds four five and six it's a long story we'll talk about it at a different date but my highest grade like an a plus 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 weirdly goes to the baltimore ravens now i know that if you look at the whole weekend losing marquise brown might sound like how are you going to give them the highest grade or whatever but on the draft as itself i i gotta be honest I felt like they stole Kyle Hamilton in the first round. I, as a 14 overall pick, that's a versatile, like once in a generation type safety feeling kind of player, much like they've had with Ed Reed many years ago. Like he's versatile like that. He's obviously not the ball threat that Ed Reed was. That's not a fair comparison, but he's giant. He's fast. He plays a number of different positions. He goes down, he goes high. He does all kinds of different things. He's inside the box, he's out the box deep. He does all kinds of different things to help that defense for a franchise known for their defense. Again, I think loading up the offensive line late in the first round is big. Uh, they bolster defense a couple different picks in the third round later in the day. Um, I weirdly think that I will always take Minnesota offensive linemen, so I bet we end up seeing Danielle Falil, uh, the number 110 pick from Minnesota. I bet he ends up really playing a lot. Like I could see him really being a dominant force. He's 6'8", 384. Yes, you heard that correct. 6'8", 384. 84, and he's a giant type of tackle that you could have just cave down a sideline when they run all those different counters and GTs and things. You need the collapsing of the front side to pull the backside. He can be that kind of a guy right away, and I think that's a big, big pick for their offense. My next highest grade in the draft goes to the Jets, and frankly, if they weren't the Jets, they might have had my highest grade in the draft, but I had to give them a ding because I feel like that just something's going to go wrong because how could this much have gone right for the Jets? But after getting a number two overall pick in quarterback last season, they came back with a top 10 pick and got my favorite receiver from the draft. I'm a big fan of Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. I know that other people like the USC kid and other people like the other Ohio State, da 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 I like the swag that Garrett Wilson brings to New York. I think he can fit in. I think he can do the things you need to do to be a star in New York. And I think that's 
weirdly important for the Jets, especially when the quarterback is more of a bashful kind of guy. Having the flash come from the receiver might be fun. And their first pick, the four pick, uh, Sauce Gardner, I actually liked more than the Texans kid Stingley. I think Sauce Gardner is the kind of guy that, again, I know Cincinnati didn't play the same kind of competition Stingley did at LSU, but he certainly had a lot better overall career, even if Stingley had that great freshman season for the national championship team. They continue to bolster defense with a defensive end. Uh, they got running backs out of Iowa to help uh, Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State to help protect as well. Uh, the Zach Wilson pick um, from a year ago got some offensive line to help bolster it. I I just feel like they really found all these like very specific spots to continue to play as a young team, right? Guys that they really really need as a young team with a young head coach. First time he's been a head coach in Robert Sala. I think that that's a great team in the building. And perhaps it's because they got guys like Michael Clemens out of A&M or uh, I, I did end up watching some stuff on Max Mitchell because, frankly, anytime you see a Raging Cajun helmet, senior bowl, you got to check that out. But I, like they had guys I just I'd seen and heard of. And so I felt like, well, those are at least guys that were dominant in college football. I mean, they got they obviously they got Garrett out of Ohio State they also got a tight end out of Ohio State like Ohio State was a success, successful program anytime you get a Ohio State kind of talent like that for Zach Wilson really will open up and be a nice little safety blanket um I, I also want to point out like part of the reason I guess they're obviously gonna have a high grade is they got three true first round draft picks and and getting three true first round draft picks means like all three of those guys are very clearly first rounders I haven't mentioned Jermaine Johnson the second yet but that guy is very clearly a first round pick and they traded up to go get him but he was projected to go much much higher than 26 and they jumped from 35 to 26 to get him so I really feel like this is a big night for them no they didn't get in on the receiver trading game and stuff like that that we saw they just drafted one at 10 however they're playing the long game anyway they don't need a guy that's 27 years old and is like in the prime of his career right now they need the young guy and I think that that's what they were trying to do and I think that's a really really successful night for them all right, so my lowest grade, or my second lowest grade, I should say, is going to go to New England. And I entirely admit that at the end of the day, Belichick knows more about this than I do. So I'm not saying these guys are going to be bad players. I think I like Taekwon Thornton. I really think that he's going to be a good pro receiver. I thought it was a good pick. Marcus Jones at the U of H, a guy I got, to, I got to watch on TV some, being a Texas kid. He's a great pick. I just feel like all of their picks, including their number one overall pick, they got in a second at 29. We'll mention more. I guess we'll talk more about that second. All these guys could have been taken later. And to me, while I understand that New England has this thing where they find diamonds in the rough, sometimes it's easier to just find diamonds at Jared, right? Like, at the end of the day, you can go find any old diamond store and find some diamonds. You don't have to, like, start digging through rough to look for it. And I say that mostly because, like, I don't I don't mean to say that these aren't smart picks. Some of these guys I necessarily didn't know. But when they led the NFL draft by getting Cole Strange out of Tennessee Chattanooga, who will be a good pro. He will be a true pro from Tennessee Chattanooga. He's 6'5", 305. He's kind of got to find his positioning. He was drafted as a guard, played a lot more tackle. I really also think the truth is he might need to like reshape his 305 to be a true guard because at 6'5", 305, I feel like he... Anyway, I, they took a second round graded tackle maybe even a third round graded tackle as a guard in the first round that doesn't seem to make much sense to me you could have just waited till your later picks to get him later they took a receiver again taekwon third i think it's a great pick out of baylor but they could have either traded like a few spots back and gotten 
Wandale Robinson or John Meachie the third and gotten again the same exact lineman probably at the later spot that they drafted a receiver at they could have maybe moved that 29 pick up and gotten a different receiver they could have just flip off those picks even and I think I might have graded this a little bit higher and it's not to necessarily like overrate the first couple rounds because Everyone knows that not just because of Tom Brady, but they clean up most in the late rounds. Like they got a tackle out of Michigan at 6'6", 325 in the seventh round. I got to be honest, I have to go look up more about who that guy is, but Michigan was good this year. Michigan's got pro coach, 6'6", 325. They've done well in the seventh round for Michigan guys. I get all that. They also got a, they got a center in the sixth round. They got a defensive tackle in the sixth round. They got a running back in the sixth round. Like I, I get that they may just be banking on finding those diamonds in the rough and trusting their process. But in the first round, they don't have to do that. They could have just found the diamonds at the diamond store. And I guess that's why I'm so, so low on this is because that feels like a wasted opportunity to surround their young quarterback with real young talent that, again, they could still have gotten a guy like Cole Strange or Tyquan Thornton later in the draft had they wanted to and then had a better weapon to provide him early in the draft. But Belichick knows more than me, and I guess that's probably why this isn't my lowest, lowest grade. It's just my second. Now, my lowest grade in the draft, it feels a little bit unfair, but it's going to go to the San Francisco 49ers. And bluntly, that's because their first pick was the 61st overall pick. And I, I understand that... They feel like they were just in Super Bowl a couple years ago, and they really don't feel like they're that far away. And with Russell Wilson leaving the division, the division feels a little bit more open. You hope for some L.A. Rams Super Bowl hangover. Arizona had a tough end of the season last season, etc. But as I look at this, they wasted opportunities to try and get into those first couple rounds where while there was not the star-studded talent there might have been a year ago, there was a lot of can come in and play meaningful snaps type of type of players right away, right? And so to get your first pick overall, even if I like Drake Jackson out of USC, right, from just the other side of California, you obviously know that the way the 49ers play defense, they appreciate pass rushers. They just go platoon the pass rushers over and over again. I get the reason they take him. I just wonder if they could have done something to get up further in the draft. They didn't make a Debo Samuel trade. I understand they're trying to work that out, but man, that feels like a thing you could have used to get a couple of those early picks. Like, go get a couple of those first rounders from the Jets. Go get a couple of those first rounders from whomever, right? Go get into that first round with the talents people want. And frankly, in a draft that they didn't have a lot of picks in, they kind of needed it. Um, I, I get getting a third round running back. I just don't think they needed that running back that early, maybe wait till the fourth or fifth round. I get, and again, SMU kid, I got to watch on TV, like living here in Texas, Danny Gray in the third round. But like, you know, I, I guess as you're transitioning Trey Lance to be the starter at some point, he's a speedster and you want a guy to take the top off. But I I guess that like hints to me that they're going to lose Debo Samuel at some point, And that just makes me more angry about the fact that they didn't trade him at all. I feel like their pick, uh, the offensive lineman they picked at a UTSA, Spencer Buford, Burford, he he would have been there later. They could have taken him with the fifth round pick, right? The 172 pick where they take a cornerback out of Toledo. And I wonder if they take the lineman at the fifth round pick, what other talent could you have gotten at the fourth round pick that might be able to come in and play right away? Um, they had a number of six round picks and seven round picks. I think the funniest thing is that they get Brock Purdy. <laughs> um, 
I actually think Brock Purdy has a chance to like come in and be a career backup in the NFL, call me Big 12 homer, etc. But I, I think he just has those kind of tools. And so this feels like the writing on the wall for Jimmy Garoppolo, which takes me back to the idea like, why didn't they trade any of these guys that they're not going to actually use or they're trying to move on from, etc. to get more first round picks and get some talent here? I just, I don't get it. I don't see what they're doing. This gets the lowest grade across the draft for me for a number of reasons, both because of what they did and what they did not do. Friends, that was another edition of FN Sports. If you feel like you learned a little bit about the NFL Draft, both about why I hate it, but about how it went over the weekend. If you enjoy the show, make sure you follow me at Painsworth512, that's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. I'll tweet about things like how I did not get the Mamba Cetus on sneakers, and I'm really upset about it. I'll do my daily podals and wordles and those kinds of things. But make sure you follow me for all the different content I'm pushing out there. Again, that's at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. This show is also on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at FN Sports Suits, F-I-N-S-P-R-T-S, number two, all one word. On both of those social media handles, you go to the link tree in the bio. From that link tree, you get to all of our sponsors, my bookie, The Beard Struggle, and Yeti. Make sure you go through all those things to help out support the people who support the show. But you can also find our merch store in that same link tree. You go to that, we have a different t-shirt or hoodie each month. May is ALS Awareness Month. We were trying to end Lou Gehrig's disease, so we're trying to flunk ALS. Our design there is, you know, thematically surrounding Lou Gehrig's got some navy and white pinstripes make sure you go grab a t-shirt or a hoodie to help support the show support a great cause and if you want to help support the show in other ways that are free you can make sure to download subscribe rate review do all the wonderful things to help with the podcast do it on a couple different platforms and whatever you do when it comes to sports don't flunk with us later guys Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.